0: So this morning, I'd like to start off with a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. This is one of the most beloved line from J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it was a bit of wisdom that was imparted from Gandalf to the young hobbit Frodo. In his book that he wrote in 1954, The Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo inherits a cursed ring and realizes that he has to go on this frightening journey in order to destroy it. After confiding in Gandalf that he wishes the task had been fallen to somebody else, Gandalf reminds him, Frodo, we don't get to dictate what challenges we face. And rather than lamenting avoidable hardships, time is better spent focusing on the choices within our control and making our time on earth or middle earth meaningful. Today, there may be some challenges facing you. You may feel some convictions. You may be like, Adam, can we skip to the warm and fuzzy parts? (laughs) But remember, we go line by line, verse by verse. So when it comes up to the do hard things parts, we don't skip over them. We take them in stride with the totality of God's word. And God willing, we make changes in our lives. We move forward. And then we try to make those best choices, those godly choices in our lives. Bilbo Baggins, when asked to go on a grand adventure with God, by Gandalf, stated, Oh, dear me, no. Adventures make one late for dinner. You can go on day by day, living the same way as you always have. But remember, there's no such thing as staying the same. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. So come with me today on this grand adventure as we delve into God's Word. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you so very much for the blessings of this day, for coming together, for gathering together, for waking us up and calling each and every one of us here to your church, to your house. And Lord, I pray that as we go through the scripture, that you would truly speak to each and every one of our hearts. Lord, that we would go ahead and take and glean the things that we need to change within our lives. And Lord, that you would change us and make us leave this place a different person. God, as we delve into your scripture, etch it upon our hearts. But if there's anything of man, I pray that it fall upon deaf ears. So Lord, we thank you. We love you. We sing your praises. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. The title of today's message is simply Encouragement. If there's anybody here who needs a Bible, just raise your hand, and one of the ushers will come around and give you one. Otherwise, we're going to be starting in Luke chapter 11, verse 33. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. So if you remember back then, the homes were very different than what we live in today. We spoke about it a little bit last week and Jesus gave us the parable of the friend who comes at midnight. Now we know that there would have been animals within the home, that there would have been that fire in the center and everybody sleeping around it in order for, to keep warm. And this is one of the ways that they would keep warm is not by having a lot of windows. They'd have very small windows, if any at all. So it's not like today where we have these nice dual pane glass windows that keep the heat in and keep the cold out. And we can heat our homes for relatively inexpensive means. Okay, I use relatively inexpensive loosely because yes, I have not forgotten last winter just yet. So when it comes to the homes, they would receive the majority of their light from the lamp, not from any windows that was there, even during the day. This being the case, Jesus says, then would you put that lamp under a basket? No, you'd want it on a lampstand in order to illuminate as much of your world as possible. But that's how we should be as Christians. Our faith should not be something that's worn only on Sunday, Bible in hand for the pastor and those at church to see. Instead, we're to let our light shine in a very darkened world. You know, I've used this analogy before, but I think it's uh, very appropriate. Dr. Del Tackett, he was the one who did the Truth Project, worked for Focus on the Family. He came home one day, and he opened up the closet to hang up his jacket, and he puts his, closet, his, his jacket on, and he closed the closet. And then he opened the closet, and then he closed it. Then he opened it again. This time he got inside, he closed the closet... And he opened it only to find his wife standing there going, what are you doing? (laughs) You see, he realized something. He had an epiphany, if you will. You see, when he opened up the door to the closet, it wasn't the darkness that was spilling out, but it was the light that was removing the darkness. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of have a problem with Christians that feel that life is just supposed to be a spectator sport. You see, we're not supposed to be on the sidelines just watching the game. We're supposed to be in the game. That means going to school board meetings, running for a political office, getting involved in churches and missions work. Yes, we're not to be of the world, but we're in it. But those who sit and say, well, Jesus is coming anyway, Adam. Uh, These things have to happen. I read about it in Revelation. Why should I get involved? Because one day, each and every one of us, all great and small, Bill Gates as well as the homeless guy down at Walmart, is going to stand before our Lord and give an account. Romans 14, starting in verse 10, it says, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account for ourselves to God. Folks, I want to stand before our Lord and receive crowns. I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to be standing there trying to give an account of why I didn't do more for our Lord, as he's done so much for us. And that brings us to our first point. Be the light. Simply be the light. Be placed on a lampstand. Yes, it's not going to be easy. And you're going to open yourself up for all to see. You'll become a target. But remember, as stated in John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Let's all just be the light. Continuing in verse 34. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part of dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of the lamp gives you light. So this is speaking about what I was just saying. Have you ever had people come up to you and say, There's something different about you. I just can't quite put my finger on it, especially right after you were saved. It's because people are seeing the light inside of you. They see the Jesus inside of you. And compared to the darkness of the world, it's comforting. It's refreshing. Now, two points about this. First of all, Jesus says, therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Now, what are we putting into our bodies? For we all know, like, if you eat just junk food every single day of your life, you're not going to be taking any titles from the Mr. or Mrs. Universe contest anytime too soon. So, too, what are we consuming with our eyes, What are we looking on social media? What are we looking on in our nightly news? What are we looking on our computers and our iPads? You see, when dealing with computers, there's an old saying: "Gigo. Garbage in, garbage out." And the same holds true for us. What is it that we're putting in our hearts and minds through the lens of our eyes? See, Jesus is not just saying if your eye is good, in other words, you don't have lazy eye or, you know, it's got this bad twitch or anything like that, or you're dealing with some kind of blindness. No. But what are you putting into your heart and mind through your eyes? That if it's good, your whole body is good. Are we reading our Bibles? Are we watching uplifting good Christian movies? Are we filling ourselves with the filth that's coming out of Hollywood? Because if we're filling our hearts and minds with darkness and the things of this world, then is there any wonder why our state, our country, our world is in the condition that it's in? Now, the second point, the reason light shines is in order that people might see it. Therefore, if Jesus is light of the world, John 8, 12, why don't people see the truth about him? Because even the brightest sun can't make a blind man see. This explains why even though Jesus is the light of the world, people don't see properly because their eyes are darkened according to their own sinful choices. Verse 37. And he spoke a certain Pharisee, asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. Jesus sits down to eat with everyone. He never refuses an invitation, whether it's a tax collector or a Pharisee or a friend alike. Let's be more like Jesus. You know, there's been people who have spoken ill about this church and saying that it's too clicky folks. If you come to this church, if you go ahead and listen to the music, you listen to the word, and then you leave without ever talking to another person in here, you are losing out. You're missing out on all that God would have for you. And there's so many different places that you can get plugged in here. Our Monday night Bible study with our potluck, our breaking bread ministries, our men's breakfast, the women's study, the prayer nights, and the breaking men- breads ministry— There's individuals within the congregation that open their homes up and we come together. We enjoy a meal and the time of fellowship and discussion about faith and his word, it simply abounds. I encourage you guys to get plugged in. Sign up sheets are in the foyer or with some of these, just show up. But if you come here and you leave here because you feel that the church is too clicky, you just bought a lie from the enemy. You know, Kevin made the joke that we need to change the name of the church to Calorie Chapel. You know, he may not be all that far off, but there is a wonderful thing that happens when you come together in koinonia and fellowship around a meal. Jesus went in. He sat down to eat. Won't you come and join us too? Verse 38. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. (laughs) Now, for those of you that came out to our fireside chat in February, please forgive me, but we're going to go through this again for everyone else. How many commandments did God give Moses? Ten, right? Now... (laughs) For those Jewish people, more specifically, the priests and the religious, they ended up coming with 613 Levitical laws. Now, were these God's laws or man's laws? They were man's, right? Yes, and of the 613, there were 39 that were specific to putting up and taking down the tabernacle, specifically more so dealing with the Shabbat or the day of rest. And you see, the idea behind it is, well, if these are the Ten Commandments and we don't want to sin, if we can build a fence large enough, then we won't even get close to sinning regarding those ten. But you see, this is one of the things that I love about Jesus, He never bows down to the things of the world, tradition, rules, or rituals of man. Do you remember when his disciples were, uh, went ahead and ate some of the grain from the field on the Sabbath? The Pharisees lost it. Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says... At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. You see, it wasn't so much that they were eating or that they were taking the grain from somebody's field. They used to have what were called gleaning fields at that time that were specifically planted along the roads so that when travelers were going by, they could go ahead and glean or take some of that food. So that wasn't what they were doing that was wrong. But they plucked the grain. That was work. That was considered work. And that's what the Pharisees were getting so worked up about. See what I did? Work, worked out. Then... Plucking grain. Work. Really? But remember, that was man's law, not God's. I mean, even if you go over to Israel today, they have what are called Shabbat elevators that literally stop at each and every one of the floors. Why? Because pushing the button to the elevator would be considered work. Work. Now, we're going to put up a picture right now, and this is actually from a washing station that is just outside of the Western Wall, and you were to go ahead and wash your hands before going up and praying, and now, do you notice anything different about these cups? There's two handles on it, right? Yes, because in order to wash yourself, you would take your unclean hand, you would grab one of the handles, you would go ahead and douse your other hand. Now this hand being clean, you would touch the other handle. You see, you don't want to come back over to that first handle because then you would defile yourself by to having unclean hands. Then you would wash the other one. Then you were good to go before the wall and pray. Is there anything that says anything that we need to do that in order to pray to God? Oh, hang on, hang on, guys. We're, we're about to pray. Everybody into the bathrooms. <laughs> no, you see, that's man's laws once again. And you see, washing speaks not of hygiene, but of ritual. The book of Leviticus made it clear that ceremonial cleansing was intended only for the priests. But over the years, the priest required it of the people too. But you know, I can see this in my own life. And perhaps maybe you can as well. Sometimes the Lord may speak to us individually about specific things that we are either to do or not to do. But the temptation and the tendency is for us to make what the Lord tells us personally as a rule for everyone around us. And that's the basis of legalism. And that brings us to our second point here today. Don't be legalistic. Don't be legalistic. We see our Pharisee here marveling or getting disturbed because Jesus didn't wash before sitting down to eat. Now, let me ask you this. Is it a good idea to wash your hands after the day's events before you sit down to a dinner meal? Yes, absolutely. And by the way, don't let your kids try to use that. Well, Jesus didn't go ahead and wash. Yeah, and Jesus' mom didn't have a taser either. (laughs) Honor your mother and father, go wash. But we shouldn't be doing as the Pharisees did in life, living in a legalistic way. Think about how much grace and mercy our God has given to each and every one of us over the years. Don't be legalistic. As we're about to see Jesus knowing their hearts, knowing what they were thinking, he's going to call them on it. Verse 39. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Have you ever gone to a restaurant And as you're finishing your drink, you look in the bottom of the glass and you see a glob sitting there. And the first thing that comes to mind is, I hope that's on the outside of the cup. I hope that's on the outside of the cup. Right? Well, you see, that's what Jesus is saying, is that the glob is on the inside. The glob is the greed and the wickedness. And it doesn't matter how clean the outside is, it's what's inside that counts, Verse 41, but rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed, all things are clean to you. True piety, it's not seen in religion, but through generosity. Forget religion, Jesus says. Give alms and said, help the people in need. Verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herb and pass by justice and leave uh, and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So what the Pharisees would do is they'd go ahead and they'd have their herbs out and they would go ahead and cover up 90% of it. Then they would cut off 10% and they'd take that 10% and they'd throw it away. And that was their offering to God. Now, in doing this, it's not what they were doing was wrong, but we're supposed to give to our Lord. Proverbs 39, excuse me, Proverbs 3, 9 states, honor the Lord With your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Now, I remember uh, many moons ago listening to Zig Ziglar. He was a motivational speaker and he spoke on time management and finances and a success mindset. Now, one of his directives was to pay yourself first. And the reasoning behind it was, after you paid the mortgage, all the bills, put gas in the car, by the time you were done with all of that, there wasn't any money left. When Michelle and I first went through our premarital counseling, our pastor sat us down. And in essence, he said, pay God first. Ah, what a concept. <laughs> Because just like Zig Ziglar says, if you don't pay him first, there's always going to be something else that needs your money. Malachi 3.10 states, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. You see, this is the one place in the Bible where God tells us to test him. But secondly, what we see, this is where we get the tithe from, that 10% that we're supposed to give 10% to the Lord. Now, folks, I'm being quite real with you. The lights don't stay on. The AC doesn't run. The doors don't stay open if his church is not tithing. Now, there's some that would go ahead and argue, but that's the Old Testament, Adam. Yeah. And the New Testament takes it even a step further. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. But this I say... He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver see, we shouldn't be giving begrudgingly, but cheerfully. And I always loved the way that Chuck Smith used to say it. He said, we are to give hilariously. That was another translation of cheerfully. But think about it. God says, keep the 90%. Now, what if I told you that each and every one of us was going, to ha- was going to receive $1 million for reparations. You know, all of our ancestors having to go through that lion-eating stuff. But the catch was that for that million that we received, we had to give 100000 away. You'd be like, no problem, Adam. Give me the check. But yet we get our paychecks each week or every month and when it comes to God, we can be like, oh, well, I really need that vacation this month. Or the newer model of the car just came out. I deserve to upgrade. Adam, my clothes are almost two months old. I can't wear something so yesterday. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that any of these things in and of themselves is bad or sinful. But just do it out of the 90%, not the 10. Amen amen. Matthew 25, 29. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace. So Jesus points out that the Pharisees were very good at majoring in the minors, at concentrating on the external details while ignoring the essentials and the eternal. It was not their tithing that was wrong, but their failure to love. If one truly loves, tithing will follow. For while it is possible to give without loving, it is not possible to truly love without giving. Verse 44. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. I love this. I love when Jesus calls us out. According to the law, walking over a grave caused a person to be defiled. You see, but this was one of those additional laws that was given by the religious of the time. You see, specifically, it was only touching a dead body that made you unclean or defiled. So in essence, he says to the Pharisees here, when you come in contact, when people come in contact with you, they don't know you're dead, but you defile them nonetheless. Ouch. Jesus is hitting right to the heart of the matter of these Pharisees. He's not pulling any punches, is he? And we should be just as bold as Jesus in this matter too. Calling sin, sin, and not watering it down. Verse 45. Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us also. Can't you just see Jesus? He takes a long pause. He looks at him and says, You think? (laughs) I want to meet Captain Obvious when I get to heaven. <laughs> that is, if he made it to heaven. But look at what he's saying. You know, I mean, there's an old saying that says, when you're put down, sit down. In other words, when you mess up at work and your boss calls you out on it, don't argue or fight back or try to give an excuse. Just accept responsibility for the mistake and then make the correction so it doesn't happen again. Verse 46. And he said, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and yourself do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Yes, even you, lawyers, are in with the Pharisees, Jesus says. Now remember, we discussed it last week. These aren't like the ambulance-chasing lawyers, but instead, these were those that studied the law of Moses. And you see, they were in the pile-on club too. Making extra burdens for people that God never needed them to do. You know, Jesus says in Matthew eleven, twenty eight, Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the bearer of burden. Burden bearer. Dyslexia kicking in again. You know, the more I know of people, the more I find myself praying, Lord, don't, me, don't allow me to burden this person any more heavily than they're already burdened. I try to do as much on my own as possible before ever asking one of you guys for something. You see, although we do have that tendency that we think that we're the only ones that are going through hard times, everyone we meet, everyone we talk to is fighting some tough battle, some tough area in their lives. And no wonder that means... The Bible encourages us to be generous and kind. And that brings us to our third and our final point here today. Be generous and kind. Be generous and kind. Verse 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them them they will kill and persecute that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. You see, the religious leaders, they built these impressive monuments for the prophets, the very ones that they had killed. And yet, the greatest prophet of them all stood right in front of them. And they would kill him as well. So, when Jesus says, from the blood of Abel to Zacharias, in other words, from A to Z, from Alpha to Omega, payment for their sin would be required at the hand of the religious establishment. Verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in, you hindered. So as we start to wrap up here, you know, in the Middle Ages, the Bibles were actually chained to the pulpit. Because the church leaders believed that only a priest could rightly understand the Word of God. Although we no longer chain Bibles to the pulpit, I wonder if sometimes some pastors say that very thing. They say that there can't be a clear understanding of God's word without some knowledge of Greek or Hebrew or the intricacies of theology. some pastors say that, I wonder again if we aren't chaining that Bible back to the pulpit. Now, while there is indeed a time and a place for espousing his word, That doesn't mean that, you know, we can't understand the Bible ourselves. Surely the Lord will teach and instruct anyone who reads the Word, regardless of his or her education or cultural background. If you don't believe that, just look at me. I'm living proof. Verse 53. And as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him to see, to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. Yes, the scribes and Pharisees tried to get to talk to Jesus and to get Jesus to talk, but not to gain understanding from him, but in an effort to verbally trap him. I'm going to call the worship team back up as we go ahead and wrap up and end for today. And I want to encourage each and every one of you. You know, many times I'd be sitting in briefing and my sergeant would say, you need to write more tickets. You need to go ahead and arrest more people. And I'd be sitting there thinking to myself, I wrote over 100 tickets. I took over 20 crashes. I arrested over 20 people. And the month isn't over yet. If you're in line with what God would have you to do, then today should be a pat on the back. A well done, good and faithful servant. However, your heartstrings were tugged on just a little bit, then make the change. Put God first in your life. And then see if the storehouses won't be opened enough to receive all of God's blessings. Then all we have to do is decide what to do with the time that God has given to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, even as I think on the concept of time, we recognize that time is short. We see the evil that's in this world. We see the darkness that is there. And Lord, we know that it can't be much longer until you come. Until each and every one of us that have named your name is raptured and we meet you in the eastern sky. Dear Jesus, that time is coming, but yet there is still more work for us to do. And I pray that we would be bold about professing our faith, professing your word. And Lord, that we would touch those that don't know you. Lord, your word says that you wish that none should perish. Lord, let's take that to heart. Let's reach out to everybody that we possibly can. Let us be that best witness. Let our time and treasure truly be for furthering the kingdom. We bring all these things before you, Lord. We place them at your feet. Know how much we love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.